All right. Welcome back. I know we've been gone a while, but we're back here. We're going to talk a little bit about our predictions from the beginning of the year, where we stand baseball now that we're close to the middle of the year. Let's check in with our uh, some of our predictions that, you know, mostly are not going very well. Uh, we're going to talk some Deshaun Watson. I think that, uh, you know, some controversy there about his suspension, NFL changing their mind, fighting. We're going to get into it. And then we're going to go ahead and also review some trade deadline reactions. Juan Soto on the move, big money, big movers. And most importantly, we're going to do a little bit of honoring. We're going to honor the late, great Vin Scully and maybe one of the goats of the NBA and Bill Russell. Let's get into it. Welcome back. We're here, Ben, Danny, Riley, Sound the Horn Podcast. Let's go. It's time for Sound the Horn with the Horn Brothers, Ben. This man has to prove his manhood. Danny. They're a middling team that gets into the playoffs, but then doesn't really do anything from playoff time. And Riley. Unfortunately, I kind of feel bad for him because it always seems like something crazy happens. Welcome back in on the Sound the Horn podcast. We've been gone for a few weeks. How you guys been doing? Busy. It's, it's summer. It you has know, been a I busy mean, summer, yeah. It gets a little crazy around here. And, you know, unfortunately, we all got to do, uh, you know, big boy real life stuff because the podcast is fun, but, you know, we got jobs, so and uh kids and everything else and summer gets away but uh happy to be back yep so after vacations work covid we're all here right so took a little bit of a break but here we are ready to jump in and the first order of business that we're going to start with today so i was watching the dodgers and the giants game last night i'm sure you guys probably were as well on tbs wasn't really paying that close attention to it we've got family here in town and i see something just pop up on the screen that had a picture of vin scully which wasn't abnormal it's a dodger game but it had 2022 at the end and i was like wait what so like turned the volume up a little bit and saw that Vin Scully had passed away. And usually I don't get overly emotional when like celebrities or sports figures pass away, but this was one that hit a little bit closer to home. I know our dad was a big Dodger fan and we were raised. And I know Ben probably remembers this, like when we were really little, we had a little radio that we had next to our bed and uh, we would go to bed at night listening to sports games, right? Like we listened to a lot of jazz basketball. We'd listen to Dodger baseball. We can, we could get it on. We'd watch Dodger games and Vin Scully's voice was kind of a fixture in our home. And he had such a way of bringing us into the game. And it made you feel like you were there alongside him that, him passing away was a little bit more of an emotional moment for me than what I thought it would be. And I just appreciate everything that he's done. Vin is, there's never going to be another one like him. What he was able to do 67 years play by play for the Dodgers. He did it. He did football. He did, you know, he did baseball. He was in movies. He did everything. 
And the way that he told stories, like you said, baseball is a long conversation. It's not, this is more than just him saying the game. He's bringing us into the conversation here and he's going to be missed. Yeah. One, one of my favorite stories dad would tell me is that he fell in love with the Dodgers because he was watching Vin Scully or he was listening to Vin Scully on his radio when he listened to Vin Scully broadcast Sandy Koufax's perfect game. And I remember dad telling me that was one of the main reasons he was a diehard long time Dodgers fan. And that's just, I mean, that's, it's long time baseball. And just the fact that dad as a little kid heard Vin Scully calling games. And then we, as little kids, even into my adult life, we could hear Vin Scully calling games the man was a legend forever. One of my favorite baseball movies is um, for love of the game. And just the fact that his voice is calling that game makes it seem like it was a real thing. Like it's obviously Hollywood, but it, it felt so real because you just get those feels and he could even make a Hollywood movie, like definitely not real perfect game feel like it was a real thing, like a real perfect game. And like you were there, it was his, his voice was one that just captured you while you're watching a baseball game and it'll he'll never be forgotten never never be topped as far as sports announcers are going to go in this in this world so i wanted to bring up a couple things i got a lot of vin scully memories uh, you know i always said i could listen to him read the phone book and be entertained uh i think you know vin scully started out his broadcast career a lot of people don't know this at Fenway Park, broadcasting a football game of all things before they even had the press boxes in, sitting on the roof of Fenway Park back in the 50s, you know, and uh, broadcasting, you know, Boston College at Fenway Park, playing football of all things. And then, you know, I mean, there's, as a Red Sox fan, you got the Vince Scully moment of behind the bag, it gets through Buckner, here comes Knight, and the Mets win it in 86. You got him calling you know, um, Kurt Gibson's home run in 88 world series. You got many things, but one of the things that, and, and I'm going to piggyback off of Riley. And one of the things that's so great about Vin Scully was the guy did it by himself. Not only, I mean, sometimes the game got in the way of him telling a story because he had so many dang stories that you would hear through a game. And he never got that from anybody other than Vin Scully. He didn't have a color guy. He did it by himself. He's calling a game and he's telling stories. And one of the things that makes for love of the game, such a good movie, and it's not even that great of a movie, but one of the things is Vin Scully and, and some of the things that it works, like it works so well because Vin Scully's calling this game, but he's also telling this story about Billy Chappell's life. And it may be Hollywood and it may be a movie, but no other guy could perform as an announcer of a baseball game of a perfect game and tell a story of a guy's life. And it leads us to these flashbacks of Billy Chappell meeting her at the, on the freeway and cutting his hand and rehab training and all these things. And it cuts to all of that throughout the story. And no one could have brought that to life like Vin Scully did. And, uh, you know, the one of the thing is, is I went and saw that Riley was probably five or six, but I went as I was a teenager in high school. I don't remember exactly what year, 99, maybe. And uh, so 16 ish years old, 17. And I went and saw that movie in theaters uh, with my best friend, Ross Pittman from high school. And we're watching this game and it's great. It's a perfect game. And the one thing I remember is 
this little old lady, she's probably 70 years old and she's cheering, living on the edge of her seat every time with a pitch at the end of the game. And a lot of that comes down to like Riley said, Vin Scully, you know, I mean, he's telling the story. We got all the excitement, the, the, the glory, the everything that goes along with that movie. And uh, those are just things with Vin Scully. Like I just, I knew this day was coming and honestly, I'm surprised it wasn't 10 years ago. I mean, the guy was still working 10 years ago, but five years ago, but uh, you know, it's still, it was still definitely a hard day. You know, my, a lot of my love of baseball comes from Vince Coley. Yeah. I had to go back and watch. And if, if you haven't done so take 10 minutes and watch the whole telecast of the Kirk Gibson at bat and just listen to Vince do the entire call for the whole at bat and the way that he tells the story of Gibby up there injured. And then when he hits the home run, like he has the sense that he he sat silent for a whole minute and let the crowd tell the story and then jumps in with the, in the year that has been so improbable, the impossible happens, you know, is has a poetic way of bringing you into the game. And I know they say soccer is the beautiful game, but how, you know, to, to borrow from, to borrow from Moneyball, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Right. And Scully really embodied that idea of the beauty and the romanticism around the game of baseball. And I don't think anyone, Bill or Bob Costas does a little bit of that, but nobody's going to be Vin Scully ever again. No, and and to piggyback on that with the Gibby, you know, I mean, we got two of the greatest guys ever to do it, to call that home run. And it's complete different ways of how they did it. Like, if you want to appreciate Vinny, you know, go back and like Danny said, listen to the whole at bat. I mean, it goes to a full count and he's battling and fouling pitches off. I mean, we're talking when he comes out from the dugout and he's like calling it out but none of it. And then you got Jack Buck who comes on and it's just a complete different thing. Gibby hits his home run and Vinny's calling and Yeah, he's excited, but it's this poetic thing, but you got Jack Buck yelling. I don't believe what I just saw. Right. And it's just two of the greatest guys ever doing it. But that's one of the things that makes Vinny Vinny I'm, nothing to take away from Jack. Everybody's excited. We're all excited. If we were there, I was five. I don't remember Riley. You were not even a thought. Danny was three. Negative but- four. Negative four, but, uh, you know, I mean, even now you can get excited about the Gibby Homer, but even then Vinny wants to sit and let the crowd tell the story. You get to see the taillights in the background of the people that left the field. You got people jumping up and down and the stands literally shaking and the camera shaking as, as Gibby's doing the fist bump around second. And he just lets that happen and then brings this statement of, Yeah, that's how it is. I mean, if you don't understand how the Dodgers were, they shouldn't have been there that year. Like, and that's something that he does. I mean, Jack Buck brings this other level of excitement that gets you jumping up and down. So nothing to take away from Jack, but that's just what Vinny does. He brings you into the game. And, and I appreciate that in a different, total different way of, of, uh, of baseball. You know, I mean, I think, like I said before, the Red Sox call with the Mets, you know, I could picture it without even anything because it's little roller up along first behind the bag. It gets through Buckner, you know, and you can see it like, and it's this crescendo thing of, of telling a story as it's happening. And, and it's just an amazing thing. Even as a Red Sox fan, it's, 
it uh it cuts but it's a real thing like you can just picture and it's a it's a poem all the time so yeah we just encourage you we posted on the on our podcast link on the facebook page just you know a little bit about vin scully i shared a clip of one of my favorite vin scully moments and if you have one that like a call that he's made or a story that he's told that has stuck with you uh if you want to just post a link to that we'd love to see what are the different different things that he's done that have that have stood out to you ben it might be the buckner although that one might be painful right like what are the different moments from vin's career that really stood out to you that we could celebrate together the other one is yankee stadium it's a day for chapel you know i mean it's a great call and yeah maybe scripted but i doubt it was scripted it's probably a vinnie line in that movie well that uh, may be the thing that's what i say is the crazy thing about that movie like you said really the script wise not that great of a movie but man you get (laughs) captured in that movie listening to vin scully's voice like it's so it just brings you in and i remember just like watching it as a little kid and like being hypnotized by his voice watching this fake game being played and just it being marvelous to me you know and he could do that he could bring anything to life for you it was it was incredible yep so with that we also wanted to make sure that we took some time to honor bill russell as well who passed away over the weekend and you can't tell the story of basketball without really understanding Bill Russell. You can't tell the story of sports without understanding Bill Russell, who he was, what he was able to do. The guy was incredible, right? Like, obviously, he's way before our time. We never got to see him play. But if you think about the sheer dominance, he won two national titles in, in college, wins six NBA championships during his career again different era but still amazing they had to he was one of those guys him and Wilt Chamberlain where they were so dominant on on the free throws they they extended the lane they made it wider so that he didn't have so much of a chance of getting a rebound right like to try to give other guys an opportunity and the defensive prowess that he had to be able to rebound the ball as well as he did block shots. And he's, he's like six, eight, you know, like he wasn't huge, but the way that he was able to dominate the NBA is incredible. The other thing to remember, he was the NBA's first black head coach in, in, in history. And as someone who also similar to Jackie Robinson was a bit of a trailblazer in civil rights movement in sports. Now it wasn't the first, um, black basketball player in the NBA, but he did a lot in helping advance who like the way that sports were to be more inclusive to what it is today. A great player, probably the greatest like winner in sports history, right? Like nobody's won eight straight championships like Bill Russell did. And what he, what he was able to do was, was just phenomenal. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Magic Johnson suggested that the NBA should retire the number six for all the teams in the NBA moving forward, give him the Jackie Robinson treatment, the way that they retire 42 through all of baseball. Uh, Curious your thoughts. Like, are you on board with that? I think like we want to honor Bill Russell. He's one of the greats, but do we go this far? Is that, 
is that are you on board with retiring his number for all of the teams in the NBA? So as a as a Boston Homer guy, obviously I think that what we, we recognize is that, you know, obviously with what he did with the Celtics with Red Auerbach and John Havlicek and and what they did for basketball, what the Celtics did as a, as a dynasty is something. But what Bill Russell did and why I think that maybe that they should consider retiring the number six is not just what Bill Russell did on the court, you know, as one of the only guys that could stop Wilt Chamberlain, one of the trailblazers, the fact, I mean, Wilt Chamberlain dominated everybody except Bill Russell, you know, averaged 50 points a game. That's what he did on the court. But what the man did off the court and what he did for the city of Boston, what he did to advance race relations, both college level, NBA level, um, what he did after he retired from playing the game of basketball. Bill Russell still was a guy that you saw all the time talking to, to, to younger athletes, coaching younger athletes, guiding younger athletes. He was at games up until this year. You know, you'd see him there and you'd see all the guys huddle around Bill Russell like little kids, just excited. We're talking the best players in the NBA and, and seeing this guy. And I think that, that that's something that is a respect level that you don't get every day. You don't, nothing against Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or some of these other great guys of similar eras. You don't get that same level of respect for you get from Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a bigger than life. He was six, eight, but he was 19 feet tall when it comes to as a human of what he did and what he brought to not only the game of basketball, but to the relations as a whole. And uh, I think that absolutely that that is something that should be done is, is send him off. If you're going to pick somebody within the NBA over the course of the history to give a Jackie Robinson treatment to, there's probably, I can't think of anybody else that you would pick other than, than Bill Russell. Yeah. <clears throat> to piggyback off that, I think if you're giving that kind of treatment, you're giving it to somebody who um, made, like Ben said, made that impact on and off the court and made that lasting impact to the NBA for a lot of years. Like you said, Danny, he was the first um, black head coach in the NBA. Like he was, he made those revolutionary steps in ways, you know, he dominated on the court. He was, like you said, one of the most winning players ever in any sport. He uh, made that impact. Even after he finished playing, he continued to make that impact on the game. He didn't just retire and live his, you know, cushy life and go on. Like he continued to show his love for the game of basketball and make an impact on the game of basketball. And I think that ultimately is where you earn that treatment. You know, it's one thing to be a great player. There's a lot of great players out there, but when you're a great player and then you continue to make an impact for the rest of your life on the world, on basketball, on young athletes, on young players, you know, that's, that's next level. And I think to this day, you talk to young, even young kids know the name Bill Russell. You know, you could bring up some names to some kids that I coach in high school and they'll look at you like you're crazy. Like they've never heard that name before in your life. But you mentioned Bill Russell. Everybody knows who you're talking about, you know, and even I heard high school football kids out there at practice this last week mentioning, man, did you see Bill Russell passed away? Dude, that was crazy. It's like they're they're affected by that. And that shows the effect that he had on the world. 
you know, those kids, most of them aren't even basketball players, but they know of that impact. And I think that's, you got to give them that treatment at that point, you know? Yeah. I think it would be great to see. I don't think, I think Jackie Robinson is in a class of his own, right? I don't know if there is an athlete that has had the impact off the field of play, off the competition that Jackie Robinson has had on society. But if anybody is as close to that as possible, it's probably Bill Russell. And, you know, you don't want it to be a knee-jerk reaction. I know they were thinking of doing something like that for Kobe, which I think would have been, you know, a little bit too knee-jerk. But I'm on board for this with Bill Russell. I think it would be a way... Because we would not have the NBA if it weren't for Bill Russell. Bill Russell and that Celtics team, they're the ones that really built the NBA. You know, Magic and Bird saved it in the 80s. Jordan made it international, but it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, some of those teams and and what the the Celtics did. And so I think that would be, you know, a, a great way to honor a great man and his contributions to the game so that future generations continue to remember who he is and what he's done for the game of basketball. And and can I piggyback one thing real fast to, to what you said? Yeah. Jackie did something totally different to a different level, but, and as much as I love Jackie Robinson, there got to be a time after a couple of years that Jackie Robinson was pardon my French, kind of a jackass, you know? And, and I think that, because he had to get to that point, it's only so natural that somebody can hold it in. You know, he's not the best. He's not the most amazing thing. But I think Bill Russell, out of anybody that I can think of outside of maybe, you know, Roberto Clemente for the Latin American community and for what he did, is the next person of any athlete that I can think of that then furthered that cause that Jackie started and, and continued to further that cause up until the 2000s. I mean, we're talking till this year you know like riley said people know bill russell you know and i think that that's a respect thing that that we need to remember that he he did it for half a century or more well more 70 years so yeah yep jackie was a fighter and he always (laughs) he had he had to hold back for a lot of years but once once he once he got through that jackie was a fighter again yeah i'll agree with you there um yeah i I agree. And I think it's, it's too bad. Both of these happened so close to each other. And like I said, this is, it's not a surprise. They're both up there in age, but it is an opportunity to sit back and reflect and remember some, you know, what brings us into sports to begin with and why we have such an emotional connection to them. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. This was very positive and wholesome, other than Riley saying that for love of the game is one of his favorite movies. I'll try to like, let that go. I know I was not to be <laughs> bugging on you, Riley, because I was going to bring it up. Be like, it's not really that great of a movie, except Vin Scully saves it, but whatever, go from there. Like, like, like I said, it's more of the baseball aspect of it that I always loved it. Like next I mean, he's going to say, we could bring this up for another podcast, but I just want it. Riley's going to be like summer catch is like my third greatest baseball oh, movie. Okay. You know, was... <laughs> just, just saying we might have to have a whole like sports movies podcast, but I heard 
one of our fellow football coaches today and I almost puked when he said it. He was like, Little Giants is the greatest football movie that's ever been made. And I'm like, you need to leave this room right now. You should not be a football coach. Like it, that hurt me to hear. I was like, what are you talking about? So but, but outside not, of remember, it's outside not of that bad. It's not like how many great football the year movies or something there. like, come They're on. still a lot better than Little Giants. It's a lot better than Little, Little Giants. Giants. Like, get out of here. Yeah. All right. Well, this is going to be a topic of conversation. We'll have to bring this back up. All right. But to switch gears here a little bit, not quite so, you know, we, we're not going to be dumping praise on our next topic of conversation. And we're going to talk to Sean Watson here a little bit. Now, I'm sure y'all have been following Deshaun Watson and what's been happening here. I know I've got a couple of coworkers that are Browns fans that listen in on here. So sorry, Browns fans. We're going to, we're going to dump on you a little bit. The NFL came out with the ruling. Well, the NFL didn't, they went to a third party arbitrator that came up with the ruling suspended Deshaun Watson for six games. The NFL is appealing the suspension, which really means that Roger Goodell is going to say, Thanks for letting me know what you think. I'm going to give the real suspension here. And then I'm sure that Watson's going to appeal. But initial reactions when you saw six games, like what what was your yeah, Ben, I know you had a you were talking about this a little bit. What you what was your initial reaction when you saw six games? <laughs> so I didn't actually realize at first that it was a third party arbitrator thing. And uh, until the NBA decided I saw that they were gonna appeal it. But I about lost my ever-loving mind that they're going to give Deshaun Watson 16 games. I mean, we're talking Calvin Ridley gets six a games. whole year. Six games, six, not 16. What did I say? I'm sorry. It should be 16, 17 games now with how long the season is. I, I was lost it. Six games, six, six games. Tom Brady got four for some unfounded science on two PSI of some footballs in a game that the Patriots won 46 to two or something like, uh, I mean, Brady was, was like, still guilty there. Don't, don't, don't deflect. Go, we'll, we'll, we'll Come go on. For let's let's four games for some two PSI in a game. They won by 106 and he was handing the ball off the whole game. So that made obviously all the difference in the world. Second of all, Calvin Ridley gets a whole season because he bet $1,500 on a football game while he's hurt. So obviously he could control the outcome of the game while he's hurt. You know, we still get all this gambling thing. Like, or like it's the 1920s. We can't let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame anymore. We get Josh Gordon gets suspended for something like two and a half seasons over the course of his career. You know, he's got a problem. He's got his own problems. But marijuana is legal like half the states of the country right now. We're talking about suspending a guy that, you know, basically was drinking, same as drinking alcohol in every state, but test positive. So we're going to suspend him for 25 games of his career two and a half seasons. I don't even know what it was. I can't remember now, but a guy rapes multiple women is accused of massive sexual harassment, sexual assault. The things that he's accused of granted accused is the word, but (laughs) where there's smoke, especially that much smoke, there's a lot of fire and we're going to suspend him for six games. What are we telling our girls? I have three of them. What are we telling our children? What are we telling the youth of America? What are we telling the adults of America? It, it makes no sense. This was the most asinine update. I can't believe the NFL even let somebody else decide. Granted, the NFL has been lenient on sexual assault. And mo- for the most part, other sports too. We were talking about Kobe Bryant, you know, with what he was accused of 
years ago. Everybody seems to forget, you know, I mean, everybody loves Mamba, Mamba forever, 24-8. He's got his own body armor drink in his memory and everything else, but we seem to forget what he was accused of, and it's some pretty serious crimes and some pretty serious charges that he obviously paid her off, and that's a record. That's a real thing. She got paid off, and so we're very lenient on this, and I don't go into this a lot, but I, in my job, I deal with a lot of these guys. It's what I do. And it really bugs me that the NFL would let this happen because it's not okay. It's a major thing. I don't I, believe in, I don't believe in pushing people and I struggle with the always believing every woman that comes forward. But when you got upwards of 20 plus women saying this thing, 30, 30 allegations, is it 30 now? I thought I was thinking 30. 25. When you're talking 30, there's some major smoke. There's some major fire there. And uh, the NFL can't let him play. I don't know how they can ever let him play again, let alone six games. They can't let him play this season, but they do. I don't know how they can let him play again. I mean, the guy should be in prison. Really? That's I uh, see. I take it to, I take it back to think about um, the guy that comes to mind is Matt Lauer was an co-anchor of the today show for, I don't even know how many years allegations came out and he was gone immediately. And he is like, non-existent in the tv world but this pro athlete for some reason like it's a different story on his side i think that sometimes we give too much leniency because we're like well we'd still want to see this guy play he's amazing right like that can't be the thing these guys are treated like you're just my entertainment who cares what you do i just entertain me like whatever and they have to be held to the same standard like if you or i had those allegations against us yeah, we would probably be serving some time or something along that line. Like that would be seriously investigated and that would be a big issue, but he's got money and the Browns are desperate. So they're going to find and try to find every single way to make this as small as possible. And the first, I will say though, it was a little funny. The first thing that came to mind when I saw six games was like, man, Ben's got to be pissed about that because Tom <laughs> Brady got four games for cheating his way through. I, I don't really <laughs> always cheat. <laughs> but I, I, I just like, I think it's ridiculous that we are not, I don't know, like people say, well, they're just athletes. Like they don't need to be an example. They do because so many people are watching everything they do. Your life is under a microscope. It's just like a politician. It's just like anything else. When you are put on display that much, you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And if not, like they still need to serve the same punishments because it's not teaching good lessons to the world. If you're saying, hey, as long as you're important enough, the rules can't touch you, you know, and that's what it feels like with this whole situation. And I don't see how any judge could say six games is enough. I think it's ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous on the NFL's part to put that in a judge's hand, like take care of it, do your job. I feel like that if, if you were not going to abide by that, like, why did you even send it that way? Anyways, take care of the job from the beginning. Don't go to the third party route. Just give him the suspension you think he deserves. Well, the, the, the judge, the arbiter in this case, I mean, she basically said like, yeah, like from the preponderance of evidence, he seems to be guilty. And they, they, she only focused on four cases because the others have settled. So she only went to the four that haven't been settled yet and basically said, yes, like there is culpability here for Deshaun Watson 
And based on how the NFL has handled these cases previously, six games seems appropriate. And she basically said the NFL needs to update their policy. Like they need to fix their policy because she's going off of what they have. Right. And I think that's the, that's the piece of this is that she's impartial and she's trying to reach a fair agreement based on precedent, based on what is agreed to with the CBA between the players union and the NFL and the NFL is not impartial, right? Like they are hearing from fans like us, what we are hearing and they realize that six games is not enough, right? That like we are demanding like more action. I, I think it should be the season and I think there should be a hefty fine within here. And I compare this to, uh, the we could put the blame on the NFL. The blame here is on the Cleveland Browns, right? Like if you compare this to the way that the, the Dodgers handled the Trevor Bauer case, the Dodgers did everything in their power. Now, like publicly, they didn't say a whole lot, but they made sure that Trevor Bauer did not put on a Dodgers uniform ever again. And they exhausted every resource to make sure he got to that point. And then major league baseball came in with the two year suspension and basically is probably ending Trevor Bauer's career, right? Very similar situations, not the number like what with the allegations, not the number of women, but the severity of it and baseball has gone and taken care of it. Whereas it doesn't seem like there's the same momentum for the NFL to take action because the Browns, guaranteed him $230 million after all of this came out because they were so desperate to win football games. And what are you saying, Jim Haslam, owner of the Browns, to put his jersey up for sale and have people wearing Deshaun Watson jerseys to games knowing what the name on the back of that jersey represents and what that person has done? That's that to me is the problem. And yeah, I I hope I I don't think it's going to be a season when it all comes down to it. It's probably going to be about 12 games, right? I think like at at some point the NFL is going to come out with the season. It's going to be, there's going to be then disputed. I think they're going to come to an agreement around 12 games, which is too bad, but I, the whole situation just is, it shouldn't happen and we've got to be better. And I think we need to demand better of our organizations that like, we're not going to support them through this. Like this is, this is not okay. And I think that yeah. if you look at it, we've come a long ways over the course of a hundred years of pro sport athletes. You know, I mean, we don't know the stuff that some of these old baseball players used to do, but we need to set an example to these guys because they have power. They have money. They have the power over these women and they expect because everything in their life, they've been given this opportunity and given everything's handed to them. Deshaun Watson has had everything handed to him since he was 12 years old and they figured out how great he could throw a football and he's going to be tall and big hands and can run. And so from that time, from when he was 12, his whole life has been handed to him and he thinks that he's owed this and everything in his life. And we're not, the Browns are not proving him wrong. And that's the part that really frustrates me and excuse my language. I know we're on the family side, but it pisses me off because he, he doesn't deserve that. And, and it, all we're doing is 
is showing these guys that they're deserved that no matter what they do, that they are handed that on a silver platter. And that's where we're at from the time he was 12 years old, went to Clemson, Houston, doesn't matter what he does. He is owed everything that he wants in his wildest dreams. And that's, and that's too bad that that we're going to allow this. The guy shouldn't play. He he's got no character, you know, and you know, I mean, not to bring this to something totally different, but it just makes me think that, never mind, I'm going to leave that alone and we'll talk about that another day. Um, but it just, it's just frustrating, you know, that we, that we allow this to happen and that the NFL is allowing it to happen, you know, and that is, it's really frustrating. Yep. Yeah. I just one, one last point on here too. I, the suspension, like the number of games I think is important, but I also hope, or like what I'm, what I think the NFL is trying to get at is some sort of monetary punishment for Deshaun Watson here as well. And this, again, throwing this on the Browns, like they specifically restructured his deal to where he's making almost nothing this season and he's getting back paid in future years. So with the idea that they knew he was going to be suspended for a large number of games this year. And so this was the way that it was going to least affect him monetarily if he was suspended those games. And I think that the NFL recognized that and is trying to rectify the situation Um, because yeah, it's just, I've always, I've always felt, I've always felt sad for Browns fans, you know, one of the most picked on franchises of any sports, but at this point, I would be absolutely 100% embarrassed to consider myself a Browns fan if I was one of those people right now. There's no way I could do it. If the Red Sox did something like this, I couldn't do it. There's nothing that I would be able to defend them, and I would not be able to cheer for the Red Sox if this was the situation right now, especially at this level. Like, they knew. They knew. You know, it's not the Texans' fault. I wouldn't be ashamed to be a Texans fan. But the Browns knew what they were doing and chose to reward this guy for it. And that's sad. And that, that's the worst part of this whole entire thing is, is the Browns and how embarrassing it would be to be a part of that organization at the moment. Well, it just proves how the greed outplays the morals, right? Like we, oh, we have an opportunity here to get someone that's worth something for, you know, less than we probably should. Like no one else is going to go get him so we can go get him right? Like that, that should not be okay. And, you know, they you still paid him though. They st- that's, that's what the I'm worst saying. Part. That's the worst part. They, they didn't even get him for less than everybody True. else. They True. paid him and rewarded him. For but his I mean, yeah, the, the fact that they go pick him up and after all this had happened, you know, like you look at the Dodgers, they picked up Trevor Bauer and then we're like, Danny said, we're, they never should have, they never they should have. The guy knew the who Dodgers, was before they signed they, him. They, they did a little bit of, repenting and they did because they knew what was up before they signed in but at least they they ate it later and like tried to make right by it like the browns are basically like let's just try to squeak him by so that we can use him and it's yeah it's shady the whole thing's shady and we're picking on the browns a lot of teams have done this i mean you've got zeke elliott with the cowboys like you've got ben roethlisberger and the steelers stuck by him with very similar like Every organization has gone through and done this. This case seems to be extreme, but like, I think this has got to be a catalyzing moment where we kind of say, no, like, no, like this is not, 
enough is enough, right? And, and, and even those are not to pick on that, but each of those are a little different. Zeke was a cowboy. Ben, Big Ben was a stealer. You know, whether you agree with it or not, like he was part of your family at that point. The Browns went and got this monster after he did that. I lost a lot of respect for years for Ben Roethlisberger after that. I never really yeah. had a lot for Zeke anyways, but you know, I mean, that's always the case, but the Browns went and chose this, like that's disgusting. And, and it, I, I won't cheer for the Browns for one second. Yeah. Well, they went and did it with Kareem hunt too, after the chiefs had released them for very similar situation. So yeah. All right. Let's, let's, Move on from Deshaun Watson. There's not a whole lot of NFL. As we get a little bit closer, training camps are open. As we get closer to the NFL season, we'll be picking that up a little bit. Be on the lookout as well on the Facebook page. We are going to set up a fantasy football league for the podcast. The three of us will be part of it. Maybe Mike Trout will be the commissioner, but I don't know if he's the best at, at doing that. We'll, we'll kind of see. Um, we'll, we'll figure out commissioner. I think we should get Jock Peterson. Jock yeah. Peterson. Yeah. Jock yeah. Peterson should we be some commissioner. happening in this league, man. <laughs> well, I mean, Trout was their hey. commissioner. He obviously didn't set up the rules. Oh, that's well. right. He was the commissioner. <laughs> if we're not slapping people over this, then it's not worth it, man. Hey, you know, the yeah. Red Sox picked up Tommy Pham because of that. You know? Oh, is that <laughs> yeah. why? Is that why they picked him up? I don't remember. Well, well they know he can hit, so. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's a perfect segue into let's talk trade deadline, right? So we, we you know, there's been a few trades. Yeah, the Red Sox. Yeah, why are they buyers? They have been tanking. So like but they're buyers and little- sellers. I really don't understand what the Red Sox were doing because they bought and then they sold. And then like we we're gonna talk about most confusing move, but I think that what the Red Sox did was confusing altogether. I felt like, hey, sure, let's buy. We're still close, we're only two and a half games out in the wild card. You got a chance to make the playoffs by sales coming back. Devers just got back off of injury. You know, I mean, sure we could buy. And then you, so you buy a little bit and then you trade Christian Vasquez. And it's like uh, for some minor leaguers who are good minor leaguers. I think the Red Sox got the deal, but if you're going to do that, then do it. I didn't want to see Christian Vasquez leave. I love the guy, but it doesn't make any sense to me. They went buy and sell. At the same time, I don't know what they were doing. Well, he didn't have far to travel. He had about a hundred foot walk, you know, to the he other side. The, to, he was getting ready to play. <laughs> he was going to put a uniform on and about 10 minutes well, before the game started. He, he, like, he, had oh, his, he got traded, bud. Peace out. He had his BP uniform on. He had to go yes. switch BP uniforms. Yeah. He didn't play for the Astros that night, but yeah. I no. mean, yes. Yeah. Let's talk a little here though. Um, Riley, I'll let you go first. Like winners, like who, who did you feel like is the biggest winner of the trade deadline, which can I just say this was probably the most exciting trade trade deadline. I can remember. There was like so many big trades. It was a lot of fun. We're like Riley biggest winner and biggest loser from the trade deadline. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, the biggest winners got to go to the Padres. Their lineup just became like, stupid scary and i'm maybe i'm cocky but at this point i'm not super worried about them catching the dodgers in the league in the nl west but i mean they're legit wild card contenders and at this point all you gotta do is make the playoffs and you've got a shot and so i think they have become a serious contender if they get tatis when you know they get tatis back and if he can remain to if he can somehow stay healthy which he hasn't done. 
Um, I mean, so far, the guy has played, I looked it up, 273 games in his career. And that's not a good track record with his, you know, he's been around since, what, 2019, I think, was his rookie year. Um, you know, so anyways, I mean, not terrible. I mean, 2020 but, was 60 games. So, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, he's <laughs> he's got to stay healthy. But, um, and then I just, like, losers, I really think that everyone else in the AL Central, like, the Twins did well. I think the rest of the AL Central did nothing. And if you're trying to chase down the Twins right now, like, you needed to go make a move. And the Twins made a pretty good move. You know, they they added, which is what, as a first-place team, you got to do. You got to add something. You got to make a push and no one else in their league in their division did. And I think that ultimately makes you the losers. Like you're in a division that's kind of open right now. Like there's no clear, like everywhere else in the AL is pretty well locked down. Houston's way ahead. The Yankees are way ahead. Like you're in the division where you've got a chance to go be a division winner. And the wild card's hard to get in, in that in the AL right now, because you've got a lot of good teams. Like they need, needed to make a push they did not do it i think that's like you you got to tell I, I think you're looking guardians and uh white Sox are the losers in my opinion i don't know that the white Sox needed to make a move but i'll the guardians at least but the white, I don't Sox, know, white Sox are 500 and they're trying to win the division they've got to do something to catalyze yeah. that lineup like they just need uh, to play better they need Something's to play better change. they have the talent I, I think that some of the biggest winners actually is, um, you know, we could say the Padres, but I really like what the Astros did. You know, I mean, they added some pop in that lineup that has been missing since they lost some of these guys of a couple of years over the last few years with Correa gone and George Springer gone. And, you know, they've, they went and added Trey Mancini. Yeah. He strikes out a lot, but he's going to put some pop and he's going to hit balls into the Crawford boxes all day long you know, with that short porch over there. And then they went and got Christian Vasquez from the Red Sox, you know, not the world's greatest catcher, but a pretty defensive catcher and probably the second best cat- offensive catcher in the American league right now, um, as far as offensive numbers go. So I think that, you know, what the Astros were able to go and do really sets them up to contend come playoff time. They're going to win that division. We, we figured that, but I think that, they set themselves up to have an opportunity to, to swat with the Yankees when it comes down to, to power there. Uh, As far as losers go, I'm going to go with my Red Sox. They did some good things, but if you're going to, like Danny said, why are they buying? They sell and then they buy, they go get Eric Cosmer. They go get Tommy Pham. They're trading away, but they trade away all these other quote unquote older guys and veterans. Like it was really confusing. They didn't know what they were doing. I think that the left hand didn't know what the right hand. I don't know. I was confused. I think it's frustrating. I think if you're going to go in and try to make the playoffs and play, then do it. You got talent. You got Devers. You got Bogarts. Figure out what you need. They've been hit with a lot of injuries lately, and that really hurts. So either sell or buy and wait for next year. I don't know. It just it didn't make any sense, and it was frustrating for me as a Sox fan. Yeah, the Red Sox were confusing the the winner, I would say, you know, I, I think the biggest winner of San Diego, it's got to be, right? But outside of that, the, I think the Yankees, man, like the Yankees just, 
they did some really good little moves that reinforced that team. I like the Andrew Benintendi trade. He, you know, he got the, yeah, I'm sure as Red Sox fans, like that's got a, <laughs> that's a gut punch, right? Like, you know, I was go. thinking about it. Like so many Red Sox players over the course of the last 20 ish years that I can think of have gone from playing once for the Red Sox to playing for the Yankees, but I can't think of any stinking Yankees that have come from <laughs> the Yankees and go and play at the Red Sox. Like what is the wrong with that? Like it drives me nuts, but anyways, I digress. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But I mean, it's going to be interesting seeing Benintendi in, in pinstripes there. Um, I think that's a good move. Harrison Bader, that was a you know last minute move there. Like they've they're giving themselves some roster flexibility, which I think is a little bit scary come playoff time. What the Yankees are able to do. Uh, the other winner in this, and this is me talking as a fan here. I'm glad this isn't a team, but I'm really glad Joey Gallo is out of New York. Like he just he was really struggling and I think like mentally was not doing well. And I'm excited that he's with the Dodgers. Uh, it was interesting because I saw a Facebook memory yesterday. What there was how like, like six years ago where Jackson, uh, my son got to go on the field with the round rock express and go out and stand next to Joey Gallo uh, while they did the, um, announced the starting lineups and did the the um national anthem and everything and got his autograph and so ever since then like in our family we've really rooted for joey gallo and watching what's happened in new york has just been been too bad and i'm really hoping that he turns it around come the dodgers he's an extremely streaky hitter has a ton of potential and i think it's it's good for him to just have an opportunity to get out of new york and have a fresh start the losers here, I'm kind of with Riley on the White Sox, but the, the one that like is really confusing to me is the Brewers, right? Like you're in first place, you have the best closer in baseball and you trade him <laughs> to another National League contender. Like what is going you're on? Not, like, you're not, like, you're not, you're not. What? To- you're not selling. And I understand they have Devin first Williams. Place. <laughs> right. I understand they have Devin Williams, but you can't have too many arms come playoff time. Like to me, like I have, like, I don't know if that's like loser or most, most confusing, but like, I have no idea what is happening in Milwaukee. Like if they've been into the brew a little bit too much up there or what is going on? Like, like, you know, when did they make that decision? Like who was hung over and was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Like, I don't know. Like that, that one was one, but like, there's no defense behind it. Like I, I he's not really that it. good. I mean, he's, he's all right. <laughs> Which is another, like, how did the Padres get so lucky? <laughs> yeah. I don't stuff? like that's like, as I started hearing know. these rumors of the Padres trades. I'm like, wait, they got Soto. Wait, they got hater. Wait, like, what is going on? I was like, are people just giving the Padres players? Not like, only did I, they get, so what like, got me is like, they gave up, they didn't give up that much to get Soto. I, and then they also right. got Josh. Well, they, they, they gave up a lot to get okay, Soto. They, they did, gave up quite a bit. But, but they they're like, the going to be like, oh, that's okay. We'll also throw because Soto's not quite that good. You know, as far as like one of the best young players in baseball, he's just okay. So we're going to go ahead and give you Josh Bell also. Like, here's a guy that hits 35 home runs every year, guaranteed. 
we're going to go ahead and throw him in because, you know, I don't think that Soto is good enough. So we're going to go ahead and sweeten the pot. Like it reminds me of the Red Sox somehow getting Derek Lowe and, and, uh, Jason Veritek for uh, Heath Sutcliffe or whatever his name was back in like 2000. You know, the Red Sox somehow stole the Mariners. Mariners are like, eh, we don't need them. Like, and yeah. the Red Sox win a World Series because of that, you know? Well, the, the, the funny thing, okay, so we're, if we're talking like individual players as losers, like Luke Voigt, poor Luke Voigt, like, <laughs> like Eric Hosmer is in the trade and Hosmer's like, no, like I'm not going to Washington. I'm not so doing they ship that. Him, no, not a they chance. They ship him to Boston. They ship him to Boston anyway. So, like, so, so then they're like, you. well, we've got to send somebody. <laughs> All right, uh, boy. He's like, man, I was about to hit with Juan Soto and Machado. And yeah, and then, and then he's gone. You know, <laughs> poor Luke Boyd. Yeah. yeah. Feel a little bad for him. Yeah, um, but on the best individual, like you were saying, I mean, Joey Gallo gets out. But, you know, as the Yankees. I hate the Yankees, but man, they got to be happy too. Cause they feel like they had to play the guy cause he's got the talent, but somehow he's swinging with like, a, it looks like a real bat, but it must be computer generated or something on the TV because he obviously can't hit anything with it. So I don't know if he's faking, you know, it's like a couple of weeks ago when the guy had to fake the home run because they, they ruled it over or something. I don't know, but it's kind of like that. He's not really swinging with a bat. It must be computer generated. When I, when I first heard about that trade, I was like, I think the Yankees called the Dodgers like, hey, we got this really tall power hitter that we're going to trade you. And they're like, two out of three chance. Come on. Like, it's Judge <laughs> Giancarlo. They're like, oh, it's Gallo. Crap. You know, but like going back to like what Danny said, I think it is a good change for Joey Gallo. I think there is the potential that he could really shine with the Dodgers. He's kind of a hometown guy. He's from Vegas, right? So like it's close to his hometown. Like that's, that's Bishop Coleman high school, yeah. right? That's probably where he wants to be. I, the coaches that I've coached with the last few years in baseball, they were in the state championships and they remember um, his senior year and they went and watched him like come in as a closer in the state championship game and just casually throw like 97 miles an hour as a senior in high school. And he wasn't even a pitcher, you know, like, like he's got talent. The dude's powerful. I think he could really shine. You get him in that lineup. Like, and I know he ha- kind of had that situation in New York, but you get him in a lineup with a lot of great players, like a lot of power around him where there's not as much pressure and he can kind of just come in with some clutch hits once in a while. Like, I think he can be successful, especially where they've needed it with the lack of Justin Turner and Max Muncy's lack of performance this year. And, you know, I think it'd be good. Maybe he could bring in something fresh. So maybe it works out for him. I hope so. I mean, at the end of the day, we brought in a former gold glove outfielder who also hit 38 home runs last year. I mean, right. And what have the Dodgers been able to do? Like at a rate of 98% this year or something. But what what have the Dodgers been able to do? They've resurrected a lot of careers. And so I'm excited to see what they're able to do. As a Dodger fan watching the trade deadline, obviously I was hoping for Juan Soto, but I also was looking at some of the proposed trades and I didn't like the idea of, of giving up Diego Cartaya and Gavin Lux and like really like basically giving up your whole farm system to get him. And then you're, are they going to be able to resign him long-term? You're going to have to give up on Trey Turner. If you do that, I didn't feel like the fit was there. I think they did enough job of putting the pressure on it to maybe hopefully drive up the price on the Padres and make it a little bit more painful there, which could have been there. But if you look at it, as a Dodger fan, I'm feeling pretty good. We didn't make a ton of moves, but you've also got Bueller's coming back. Dustin May's coming back from injury. 
you know, um, you know, we've got relievers that are going to be coming back here soon, Blake Trinan. So a lot of talent that is going to be added to the roster just from coming back off of injury. Uh, I saw Chris Taylor hit two home runs in AAA tonight in his rehab assignment. So I think the Dodgers are going to be fine. I don't think they needed to make this move. And I'm glad that they had enough restraint to kind of say, we don't need to go get every superstar that's out there. Well, and who knows if Juan Soto is going to stay in the brown and gold, you know, I mean, we don't know. And the Padres may have just given up a bunch. Not, I mean, Scott Boris is his agent. So yeah, it's a wild card, right? They're yeah. going to buy into, you know, they're obviously just buying in for this year. And who knows if Tatis is able to even come back, if he'll sprain a toenail or something, I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah. It's exciting. And so with the trade deadline behind us now, and now that we're a hundred games through the season, we're in the last two months. Let's go back and see, because we were we were pretty confident at the start of the year that we kind of knew what was going on. Well, in some places, I think we were confident that we knew what was happening. I think in other places, we we struggled a little bit. But let's look at our predictions from the beginning of the year. And so we did some World Series predictions, and I'm going to start there, and then we'll kind of come back and look at some of these other ones. But at the start of the season, when we predicted who was going to win the World Series this year, Ben, you and I both said the Blue Jays, and Riley, you said the Dodgers, right? I think you should be feeling pretty good about yourself. Let's the go. Dodgers. Yeah, I should have picked the Dodgers. Like, I should have. I just had to be the hometown. Hey, the guy. Blue Jays, the Blue Jays aren't out of it by any no. means. No, they're, they're the wild they're card. The, they're the top yeah. team in the wild card. They're the guys like they're yeah. not gonna catch the Yankees. It just it just least, looks but... it just looks worse like on paper because they're eleven games back in their division. But like <laughs> they are a great team. Like, yeah, you're right. right. No, yeah. there's there's well, right. playoffs, it's, anything can happen. You know, so right. well, and they had a managerial change that seemed to help them out. We'll see what happens with the Blue Jays. I'm less confident there, but like they're not yeah. completely out of it. No, yeah. I'm not very confident, but it, it still could happen. <laughs> Yep. This is where it gets interesting. So if we look at who we picked to win the division in the AL. So Ben, you picked the Bo Sox, the Chai Sox, and the Astros. How are you feeling about, about okay. Bo well, Sox, so Chai Sox, Astros? The Bo Sox here? are not going to do it. Um, <laughs> I don't, as much as I'd love it, they may make the playoffs there. They, you know, there's still a chance. We're, we're not going to give up hope. Um, I think that the, I actually do feel okay about the Chicago White Sox. They're what, two games back right now. I mean, yeah. it's August 3rd. They're the best team. Talent-wise, they got the best team. I, I still feel pretty good about that one. And then, obviously, the Astros is a gimme. So, Yeah. Yep. You're, you're doing pretty well there. I had picked the Blue Jays, not gonna happen. the White Sox, and the Rangers. Um, not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm going 0 for 3 on this one. I'm not, the, the Twins, you know, on paper, you it's like, eh, but they they have a sneaky good team. They I know, and they just keep winning in Minnesota. Yeah. Riley, I think he's gonna do the best out of all of us in the AL. Like the Yankees, yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> the White Sox have underperformed. That like Ben said, they do have the talent, they just are completely underperforming, you know. So yeah, but Yankees and Astros, those I feel like both of those have got it locked down. Yeah, yeah, those are basically pretty dumbs well. and locked, done and done. Yeah, and when you look at the NL, Riley, I think you could go three for three here too because you've got the Braves, the Brewers, and the Dodgers. That 
the one that if I were to change it might be the Brewers. I mean, that's a close run. And like you said, the Cardinals always find some way to just win games. And with Paul Goldschmidt having an MVP year, like they're still a scary team. They're right there, but I could go three for three. Yeah. Yeah. I had the Phillies, the Cardinals and the Dodgers. The Phillies aren't going to win the the East. They're kind of in the playoff hunt for the wild card because you've got so many wild card teams now, but yeah, the Mets and the Braves are definitely the, they are going to win the division there. I still think the Cardinals are going to win it. They've got Goldschmidt and Arenado have both been playing really, really well. And I think they've made some good moves to solidify that lineup. I think I'm confident there and the Dodgers, yes, the Padres, you know, picked up some talent, but that just means they're going to lose by, you know, eight and a half games instead of 12 and a half now. So the Dodgers are still going to win the NL West. Yeah. And then Ben, you had the Braves, Brewers and the Gigantes, which I don't know how you're feeling about the Giants there. No, I'm pretty happy that they're pretty happy that they're not going to win it. Let's be honest, (laughs) you know, so it's not a bad pick. Um, Well, I know it was a bad pick, but, you know, it's not a bad thing. We'll say I don't like the Giants. I don't know know what I was thinking. I just wanted to cause a rise out of it. Yeah, you just you were just trying to. And and it works. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) I I got a lot of talk and, and a rise out of a lot of people out of that, mostly family members. Uh, but you know, I don't know the Brewers or the Braves, neither one of them. I mean, obviously the Mets are still beating the Braves right now and I don't know if that'll hold or not, but, uh, I, I, you know, I feel like I could go to for three there, you know, it could be close. It's going to be right there between the Braves and the Brewers are going to have a good shot. So, well, if we're just sticking with teams, do we want to update our predictions here? So if you were to, we'll start with you, Riley, if you want to, like if you were to update now your predictions for the division winners in the AL, who would you pick? Only change I would make is I would throw the twins in instead of the white Sox. So I'd go Yankees twins Astros. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to pick the Yankees. I'm going to stick with the white Sox. I think that they pull it off in the end. And then obviously I'm switching over to the Astros. What about you, Ben? The only thing I'm going to change is the Yankees. Yeah, I don't like it. I I still think the White Sox are going to pull it off, and the Austro- obviously the Astros are. What about the NL, Ben? Are you, who do you think is going to take the division? How is it going to end up? So I really do still think the Braves are going to pull it off. I'm going to stick with the Brewers and then switch to the Dodgers. I mean, really, if I if that happens, I mean, I'm switching six months, but that still gets me four out of six from the beginning of the year. Yeah. That's not that's not bad. No, that's not bad at all. Either I'm going happens. with the. I'm going to pick the Mets. Degrom just got back. I think they're going to. I don't know. The Braves have been playing well, but the Mets still have a lot of good momentum. I'm going to pick the Mets there, and probably just partly just to be different. I'm going to stick with the Cardinals and the Dodgers for the for the Central and the West. I mean, I'm going to keep what I've got. I feel like I don't need to change anything. You know, I think the Cardinals could do it, but Brewers are in first place. I've picked them right so far. And honestly, I made one change, but I still could go six for six from my original picks. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a possibility. If you were to, if you were to pick world, world Series and, you know, things happen, right? But, like, who's your World Series pick right now, Riley? I'm – I mean, I'm going to stick with the Dodgers. I have no reason not to. 
And obviously, that's, you know. I'm going to go Dodgers as well. It seems like things are clicking. And, yeah, this is like hope. Hope on hope. <laughs> Man, I don't want to do it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to say that Y word. No, no, no. I'm not oh. going to. I'm not going to say the Y word. This is for fans by fans. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. I picked them to win the division because only a moron would actually think (laughs) that somebody's going to come back from 11 games back in August 3rd. It's not going to happen. So I had to say it for the division, but they are not going to win the world series. They never have won the world series. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't happen. (laughs) So I (laughs) those 28, don't worry about that. I'm not, we're not talking 2009. That was the last time. That's, you know, and we're not going to worry about it. It's losers. Only, only live life through the windshield, not the rear view mirror. All right. Um, uh, so I, I want to be different, but I'm going to go ahead and pick the Dodgers also. I what, think what's, what's the windshield for the Red Sox right now? Okay. Sorry. Um, go ahead. The windshield is covered in bugs that are covered splat- in bugs <laughs> because they get a lot of injuries. It just keeps splatting everywhere. I don't know. Chris Sale comes back and then breaks his finger the second start. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go with Dodgers again. All right. We all pick the Dodgers, which means they're not going to win it. So, um, and it's, it's probably, it's probably going to be like the Guardians or, you know, like the last team that sneaks <laughs> into the wild card or something. It's, it's going to be just going to get hot at the right time. The Mariners are going to come in out of nowhere and win the first World Series title for the Mariners. I actually that, considered, that would be romantic. I, I considered the Astros. You know, they have the talent, they have pitching, they got the hitting, and there's something magical that happens down there in Houston. They do love playoff baseball down there, and that crowd brings it to a different level, you know. And so if I had to really think about it, Houston's got a real, real, real shot out of the American League. Yep. Well, and if we're looking at the AL MVP race, you know, at the beginning of the year, Ben, you had picked Devers, which I think for a a time until he got injured in the Red Sox, kind of lost, you know, they're out of the playoff race now. I think he's out of the conversation there. I had picked Guerrero. He's just in a down year. Otani's still great, but the Angels, Riley, they're just not winning enough for Otani to be an MVP candidate. I mean, are, are we – is this a conversation? It's just Judge, right? Like, like Judge is the MVP? You have I don't, I don't say – I don't see how you say anything other than Judge. I, even, even before Devers got hurt, it was Judge. I mean, as much as that hurts me to say, um, Devers has had MVP type numbers till he got hurt and he was out for two weeks, but, and he's having, you know, another season that could be considered MVP type season, but judge is on a different planet right now. And that's something to be said. Does judge hit 70? It's possible. It's, I mean, he's been known to get injured and I'm kind of surprised he hasn't had a stint of a 10 game IL stint or something, and that's what worries me. Um, but he plays at Yankee Stadium. I mean, yeah, it's I mean it's it's a bandbox. Like you can hit him there. Yeah, yeah. It's the way the clip with which he's been hitting home runs is pretty incredible. He's on pace for sixty seven, but he's he's been hitting a lot more lately. Uh, it could be fun to watch. I would like to see him break. It'd be fun to see him break Maris's record, which I still think is the legitimate record, right? Um, but, 61 asterisk? <laughs> yeah. So we'll kind of see. That'd be a Yankees record, at least. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, Judge in the AL. What about the NL MVP? This seems a little, there's a little bit more of a race here. I would pick Goldschmidt just because what he's been able to do all around. Like Freddie Freeman's close. What Freddie has been able to do lately, he's just mashing the ball. And the Dodgers offense is really clicking. I think Freeman has been the catalyst for that. But I don't think he, he doesn't quite beat out Goldschmidt at this point. I, I think I got to probably agree with you. Paul Goldschmidt has been putting together crazy numbers. And I think especially if the Cardinals pull off the division ahead of the Brewers, that's just even more of a case for Goldschmidt where the Dodgers, you know, they've got the whole lineup put together to where, you know, they're, they should win the division where the Cardinals are kind of, you know, in a race. And if you know you talk about having value, that guy's bringing value to that team in a way that it's hard to hard to argue against. I think. I, I don't disagree with either of what you said. Um, it sucks. Cause I picked, was it me? No, I picked Mookie. It sucks for yeah. Danny. It sucks I for Danny because I think, I think Harper, Harper was, was on an MVP. Harper was MVP yeah. until he got hurt. And he was, I know because of my fantasy team <clears throat> there for a minute, I had Harper endeavors both on the injured reserve and it really hurt, but you know what? I pulled through and actually got a lot of points on the week. And so, Hey, I think I'm doing okay. I'm still in first moving on. I think that the only other you know, you're bringing up Freeman. The, the one person you haven't brought up that I think that is right there in that race is, is Austin Riley for the Braves. I think that, you know, what he's done for the Braves and the ability for them to be able to keep him and sign him, yeah, like that, that was a big deal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's doing some major things there on a team that's got a lot of talent anyways for him to step through. I think that he's having that MVP type year, pulling them kind of back after kind of a rough start. Yeah, and I know we missed the- – we weren't able to do a podcast around the all-star game, but how in the world were Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman, like last minute additions to the NL all-star team? Like both of these guys are top five for the MVP. And like Fred Freeman almost didn't make the all-star team, you know, I, I don't know. That's crazy. It's crazy. Both of those guys are ripping the cover off the ball too. Yeah. Yeah. Austin Riley. <clears throat> well, if we're looking at AL Cy Young, this is where, like all of us are just way off. So <laughs> Ben had picked Evaldi, which that's, that's laughable. I picked Cole. He's not having a bad year. He's just not having a great year. Uh, Riley had picked uh, Justin Bieber or Shane Bieber. So, you know, <laughs> didn't you say Justin Bieber? Yeah. And overlook justin bieber i don't think that's what he said okay go back on the podcast and listen ben nah, you're trying nah. to make jokes and you're just sounding I don't dumb to. you sound uh, dumb hey, right hey, now i don't want to you, you like right. Justin Bieber. well so if, if you were to pick al cy young though right now ben verlander that, that's your guy i think it has to be verlander if you had to go right now i think um yeah I mean, Dylan Cease from the White Sox is still pitching really, really well, and he's right there. And and so I don't know. Even he may not be on the Houston Astros, but and I think that you you still got to go Verlander. I almost gave it to Verlander when we did the podcast at the beginning of the year. I really debated it. I remember saying that. I even talked about it. 
but I didn't. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. So probably Verlander, but don't, don't, don't sleep on Dylan Cease yet. Yeah. I I'm going to go with Verlander. What's impressive is he's coming off of Tommy John. He's 38 years old. And right after the all-star break in the seventh inning, he was throwing 98 miles an hour. Like that's just unreal. Yeah. People do great things. A lot of guys do great things when they get that Tommy Juan, you know, I mean, everybody gets it nowadays. It's like a, it's like a elective surgery these days. It's just like, eh, I'm going to get it when I'm 20. I'm just going to go get Tommy Juan and, and move on. It's just a thing to do. Anyways. Is that a performance enhancing surgery? I think it might be. What about you, Riley? Are you going Verlander? Are you going like Dylan Cease or, you know, McClanahan's having a pretty good year. I mean, I've been thinking about McClanahan, but I think at the end of the day, sometimes it's about the, like the romantic story. And like you say, Justin Verlander's coming off of the Tommy John. He's one of the old guys out there. People kind of written him off. I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, I don't know how you deny him of that award. I think I think Danny kind of talked me out of Justin Verlander because he was coming off of Tommy Juan, if I remember that correctly from the beginning of the year. And I shouldn't have I shouldn't have hesitated. But it's well, he's an Astro, so you know. And that uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if we look at the NL Cy Young, you guys had both picked Walker Bueller, who's been injured for most of the year. When he has pitched, he's done okay. I picked Corbin Burns, who is leading the league, the National League in strikeouts. Like he's having a good year, um, so I don't feel too bad about that. But if you were to have to pick your National League Cy Young right now, Riley, we'll let you go first. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and probably log off because you guys are gonna get annoying and stupid <laughs> about it. But Tony Gonsolin is the best pitcher on our on the best team in the NL pretty close to the best team in baseball. How do you deny that guy, the NL Cy Young? Like he is making a huge impact on an amazing team and on a team that Ben, all smart, powerful Ben at the beginning of the year was like, Dodgers are going to win games nine to eight because that's all they can do is hit. They have no pitchers and their pitching staff is ridiculous. And he's been leading it. He's been consistent. Nobody expected it. Once again, he's one of those good stories because he's been kind of just okay for the Dodgers in the last few years. He's serviced where they needed him a little bit. They've never really trusted him. In a year where Walker Bueller's been hurt, Dustin May hasn't been able to come back. Like Kershaw was has been pitching really well, but you know people haven't trusted him as much. He's come out and he's just performed again and again, and he's leading that team. So say what you want, like – you want to look at just stats, that's fine. But the dude is leading a team and in a team that nobody thought was going to have the pitching. So you can say what you want. It's Tony Gonsolin. The Cy Young is about stats. For crying out loud, that's what the Cy Young's for. It's about the best pitcher with the best stats. We're not talking most valuable player. We're not talking that like, some guy that leads the team. We're talking the Cy Young Award, which okay. is the best pitcher. And the best pitcher How right does... now in the National League is Sandy Alcantara, and it's not even close. Explain if to I... me then how Juan Urias doesn't get the Cy Young last year if it's always all about stats. That's what it, it should is... be. It is not always about when, stats. When like... one guy is the better who, pitcher Julio Urias, in every single category, 
except for wins, which is a team category. Because let me tell you, the Dodgers win a lot more games than the Miami Marlins. So wins is useless, just like it's dumb. But let's see. Sandy Alcantara has a half a run better ERA than Tony Gonsolin. He has three complete games. He has pitched a complete game shutout. He has pitched 50 innings more. He has more strikeouts. He leads in every single category over Tony Gonsolin, except for wins, which is a team thing. That's like saying, oh, the quarterback gets wins, so he's the best. No, we're talking. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. You're the Tom Brady lover. Did you just say that? No, as far are as you, are you actually I'm talking about, that? like, as far as being Hold a quarterback. Hold on. Like, that's Tom a Brady's the biggest in saying that Tom Brady is the greatest living American. Pure stats, quarterback, Tom Brady. I don't think anybody can ever argue that Tom Brady is not the pure stat quarterback best. He's not. He's not the pure stat best quarterback of all time. He's played the longest, so he's got a lot of those. I'm not going to argue that. I love Tom Brady. The Cy Young is for the best pitcher, and that includes stats. He beats. Tony Gonsolin, Sandy Alcantara does in every single category, and it's not even close. Sandy Alcantara is the best pitcher in the National League right now, by far. And there, and you can't argue that. It's not a team. This isn't a team award. We're not talking most valuable player. We're talking the best pitcher, pure stat number. Just like when they do these stats, when they give the best goalie in hockey, when they do you know, the striker, then you get the golden boot, you know, in soccer, it's the same thing. This is, that's what pitching, that's what the Cy Young's for is the best pitcher, not the most valuable player. You're wrong. Go ahead, Danny. So to make my point here, 1968, would we all agree is probably the greatest year for pitchers in the history of baseball. Correct. Like we're all on the same page here. Koufax, Bob Gibson, I mean... Yeah, they, they had to lower the mound had, because... The mound was like 20 feet high or something. I don't remember. No, like, yeah. You they, had they to lowered, get a ladder to get on the mound or something, so those guys... They, they lowered the mound because of it, right? <laughs> All right. Bob Gibson that year went 22-9, and nine, had a 1.12 ERA, which still is, like, ridiculous just saying that out loud. You know, a .853 whip, right? But Juan Marichal won 26 games that year, right? So is Juan Marichal the MVP, the, the Cy Young, even though his ERA was, you know, more than twice what Bob Gibson's was, and he had fewer strikeouts. He did. Okay, but you guys are saying innings. this like Tony Gonsolin's stats are garbage. It's not like no, his what stats but, are but, garbage. But like, if we look at the stats here, Riley, Sandy Alcantara has 158 innings pitched. He's struck out. Hang on, let me pull this back up over here. His his whip is a 0.93 compared to Gonsolin's, which is a 0.9. So like they're similar. But you look at the okay, okay. You just proved that he has a better stat. So thank you. Like he, he has one one you, better. You, you trying to tell me that every By stat is better oh except three. for wins? By point like, oh but three. But Alcantara has Alcantara's ERA is almost 0.6 better. Right. He has 141 strikeouts compared to, hang on, let me go back to this and find it again. 96. 96. Okay. So 50 more strikeouts, 50 more innings pitched. He's winning more games. He's leading the majors in innings pitched by 
20 innings over Aaron Nola. The guy's a workhorse, and he's doing this with the lowest DRA in the NL. The only one in baseball that has a lower is Justin Verlander. To not give it to him, Edwin Diaz has a lower discounting. He leads the league in complete games. In fact, Edwin Diaz, I'm talking starting only, pitchers over here. I'm talking he, Get out of Sandy here. Alcantara has the is the only player in the National League that has more than one complete game. And he has three. The rest of the National League combined has seven. He has one shutout. Come Only on. two hey. three other people do. We haven't been measuring wins for Cy Youngs for decades. Get over it, Riley. Didn't, why, why is it Jacob named the Cy Why is it called the Cy Young? Because he's the winningest pitcher in baseball history. And he's the losingest pitcher in baseball history, too. He's the first okay. great pitcher. That's why they call it the Cy Young. That's why. It has nothing to do with wins. Don't, that's the dumbest argument you could have ever made. <laughs> Google that. You Google, why is the Cy Young Award awarded? It'll say the Cy Young Award was named after the winningest pitcher in baseball history. That Granky won the Cy Young Award with an 11 and 8 record. Yeah. Jacob with the Kansas City Royals. Well, Jacob DeGrom had like what, 12 wins a couple years ago when he won the Cy Young? I mean, like at a certain point, you have to look at what Alcantara is doing is amazing and don't punish him for being on Miami and don't reward Gonsolin just because he's on the Dodgers. I love the Dodgers as much as you do, but I've watched Gonsolin pitch. He's a solid pitcher. He's not dominant. Alcantara is dominant. That should, that's where he's going to get the side young. And we have different ways of measuring pitchers right now versus like, did they win the game? Right? Like, yeah, yeah so I think you've got to look pitched. at it. Every I, other day, he literally was like a <laughs> softball pitcher. He literally pitched like half of his team's games every season. Like, don't give me that garbage. That's the reason we do that. It's like Danny said, he's the winningest pitcher of all time. He's also the has the most losses of all time because he pitched every day. He also would go and pitch like two games in a doubleheader. I swear. I don't know if that's true. He didn't. But like, that's what they did. Guys don't do that anymore. Sandy Alcantara is like literally he's throwing BBs. And yes, Tony Gonsolin, we're not taking it away and saying Tony Gonsolin's garbage. Nobody's saying that. That's that's pretty much is, exactly what Danny's saying, but go ahead. No, I'm saying he's having a good year. What I'm not saying is he's not overpowering hitters the way he, that Alcantara before, is. I'm just saying before the all-star break, you're talking about ERA. Before the all-star break, his ERA was like one five something. Cool. So now he was the all- so, so yeah. So, so he's so he so he was good before the All Star break. Guess so, who hasn't struggled? You have at to all. finish the year. Tony Gonsolin. Okay, but I'm saying if he finishes the year and continues, like he's still getting the job done. Yeah, this is a Tony Gonsolin's great. This isn't taking this is a bigger homer pick for you than me picking the Red Sox at the beginning of the year because at least I had hope. Then you have you're totally blindly ignoring facts. Like, this is totally like, hey, this is staring me in the face. Here it is. Never mind. I'm going to ignore that. Those are just facts. Who cares what facts are? I don't, get, I don't care about that. I think if Gonsolin was asked to pitch 50 more innings than what he's pitched so far this year, I wonder if his ERA and his whip would be as good. That's... And this is where I don't think CC Sabathia got enough credit for some of the for some of what he did because that dude was just and he ate up innings right like 
even like Greg Maddox, right? Like if you look at his overall metrics, like he was an amazing pitcher, but his overall metrics aren't as impressive as his career because he ate up innings. And what that does to a team, the way that it saves the bullpen and all of that is just incredible. Now, part of that is the way that the Dodgers manage their pitching staff. But part of it too is just, you've got a guy that's just, he's a workhorse and he's doing great this year. When you have a guy that has 20 innings more than the next closest guy in the National League, and no, he it's the, not in the National League, in major leagues, in all of major leagues. I'm just looking at National League because we're talking National League Cy Young right now. He has 20 more innings than any other pitcher in the National League, and he leads the league in ERA by over half a run, not by 0. .05, 0. .03, by over half a run he leads the league in ERA and has the most innings pitched by 20 innings. Like, it's done. Like, he's the best pitcher if you had to pick a Cy Young award for major league baseball, it's Sandy Alcantara, not anybody else, like let alone national league. You're wrong. And and I'm sorry, you're wrong. I love you. You're my brother. I love you, but you're wrong and you're dumb. And you know, I just to not to make you more upset than you already are. I'd take Corbin Burns over Gonsolin <laughs> right now as well. Wow. That one's that's take off your Dodger hat and you're never just, allowed to cheer for the Dodgers again. Go home. Is, you know what that was? That was just like here, let me poke this bear. I just want to see what happens if I poke it a little bit. I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. More strikeouts, similar ERA, <laughs> similar whip, more innings pitched, fewer wins. Overall go, body of work. Go and if I was to take a Dodger, I would take Julio Urias over Gonsolin right now. And there's a good, there's an actual argument that I feel like you can make. Go, that go look at, go look at the that. 2014 Cy Young Award voting, and tell me that it's always about having the best stats, because Felix Hernandez did not win the Cy Young that war that year, and he won a lot of the stat categories over Corey Kluber. Yeah, and he should have won it that year. That was a big argument just, that he should have won it. I'm just that saying that was a it doesn't always end up that way. Okay, but that doesn't mean that you're not still wrong. That doesn't mean that the voting wasn't still wrong. Yeah, but the voting has changed too to where we're not beholden to wins in choosing the Cy Young anymore. We're getting into more advanced metrics to look at this. Yeah, you're bringing stuff to the The, the writers have gotten smarter. They don't, you know, saying, there was a time in 2014 that like long ago, Moneyball existed in 2014. No, yeah, but there's still eight years it. ago and you have a bunch of old writers that don't they want to change it. baseball. They hated Moneyball then. Oh, look at this stupid stat thing. And the I don't even know what OPS is like. I mean, they thought OPS was crazy, let alone what we really talk about nowadays. Baseball is the most resistant game to change. Like, yeah. So to say eight years ago, why didn't they change? Because, well, eight years ago, like a lot of older. Okay, But you were bringing up stats from the 60s, Danny. Like. So let's let's pick Kyle Wright, though. Because Kyle Wright has more wins than Tony Gonsolin, and his ERA is within a half of a run of Tony Gonsolin's, kind of like Tony Gonsolin is a Sandy Alcantara. You know, they're similar in strikeouts, uh, but he has more wins. So I'm going to go ahead and change my answer to Kyle Wright from the Braves, who's not even uh, the best pitcher on the Braves. We, we've been running a little long. We should probably wrap this up, but Uh-oh. sorry, I'm Ryan. Quitting, I'm quitting the podcast just so you guys know. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna have to change the t- you know it can't be three brothers talking sports anymore. 
formerly three brothers, one of us quit. Sore loser. Just saying, the the one brother who's a pitcher has an opinion on this. <laughs> and I and I I've been here's the deal. I've been nuffed out of that when I've had the best stats solely because some other pitcher threw one more complete game or like had some stupid lucky whatever against another team, even though in every other stat I win and we had the same number of wins. So like, I, I mean, maybe that's an argument why I should be on Alcantara's side. I'm just saying it. That's not what I was thinking. Why is he making his point for us? Like I'm saying that's not how it ever works out. So I don't think he'll get those votes because it's never how it works out. And some of it's just an eye. Like, have you watched Sandy Alcantara pitch? Like, sit down and watch the guy pitch if you want to see. It's different. I like Tony Gonsolin. It's different. It's. I mean, different. I don't disagree that what he's doing is amazing. I'm just like, you've got the Tony Gonsolin. I mean, he's there and he's leading uh, the best team. He's leading the best team in baseball's pitching staff. Dodger blue. And have your Homer hat on. And I will do that until I die. Not looking objectively, just like I will not say the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I get what you're saying. But, and I can admit that I'm probably wrong. You're wrong. And you need to see that. Like you have a very, very strong take the blue glasses off. You're seeing the world through blue cluttered glasses. I won't do it. Take them off for a minute. This was fun. Um, hope you guys enjoy having us back. We're having fun getting back together and talking some of this. Hope you check us out next week. We'll have another episode. We'll see if Riley's on or not. Um, see if we can convince him to stick around or if we're, we're picking on him a little bit too much. We'll just get Cade. Maybe. I don't know. We'll substitute the other brother. He doesn't want to do it. We'll figure it out. I guarantee you shout out. Brayband's going to be like, they're picking on Riley again. It's going to be a comment coming up. Shout out yep. to Brayvant. M- multiple people, by the way, not not just Brayvant. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah, keep the comments coming. Don't just tell Riley. Put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, tell you us. want to call me out? Call me out. I'm not scared to be called a bully because I'm right. So that's what it yeah. is. But check us out. Check us out on Facebook again. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. If you want to see our faces, I mean, that's really if you want to see our faces. I don't. I know understand if you, if even... you don't. Don't I mean, want to see not, us. I, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Yep. I do have a nice pink shirt on today. Yep. But we appreciate y'all listening and hope you enjoyed the show show today. And we'll see you all soon. We out.